as we come to this chapter in the book of Mark, one of the things, even hearing this passage read about divorce, and as we think about marriage, and as we think about divorce, one of the things that we know, especially if you're here and you've, you are married, you know that marriage and divorce are not a flippant, casual thing. That, that marriage can bring with it, in and of itself, it can be one of the most rewarding, most joyful things that God has ever given us. And marriage can be one of the most difficult things to endure. It can bring heartache. It can bring deep pain, deep hurt, and deep frustration. So it's no wonder that in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, we have words like this. A noble woman who can find in Proverbs 31. And then we have other passages in Proverbs that give light to the difficulty of relating to one another as male and female in marriage. And Paul himself in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. That if you choose to marry, life will be difficult. It's not easy. There is so much in the Bible about marriage. So much. We are not even going to scratch the surface this morning. I have, when we, Casey and I were first married, um, I don't know who thought this was a great idea. Uh, they put me in charge of a marriage small group. And one of the things that we did is we spent three to six months going over every passage in the Bible on marriage. And it still didn't feel like enough time. I've been asked and I've done several marriage conferences where we spend whole weekends for hours and hours and hours digging through the biblical texts and talking about marriage and talking about divorce. And it never feels like it's enough time. I've got bookshelves full of books about marriage and it doesn't feel like enough time. There is not enough time this morning to exhaust this topic. But what we are going to do is dig into this text. And to see what Jesus spoke. And to see what Jesus has for us today. So this sermon is not about tips about how to save your marriage necessarily. Or to give you the whole biblical view of marriage. But this text this morning and the goal of this sermon is for us to hear what Jesus how he feels about divorce and what marriage is designed to be. And my hope this morning and my prayer for literally weeks has been that maybe, maybe that God might choose in this moment. As we hear his design for marriage to spur some of us on. To encourage us to view our marriages like he views them. It's difficult. Even the word divorce brings different things to mind for different people. As I've been more than 20 years as a marriage counselor, you feel like you've seen it all. And so sometimes when people come into my office and they were wanting help with their marriage, literally what was going on is that they were wanting to divorce because one of the two of them wanted to trade in a spouse for a different model. And they were literally thinking about their marriage that flippantly. 
And certainly the day and age in which this text was written, this was going on within the Jewish community, that marriage was not seen as highly as God thought it should be seen. Divorce was not seen as God designed marriage to be as permanent, and divorce wasn't seen the way that God would want His community, His people, to see divorce. And so there was a flippancy to it. But I know that even as I say that word divorce, that some people need to be challenged on the flippancy of it, but on the other hand, on the other hand, just the word recalls pain. Suffering. Hardship. So, it's a difficult topic to tackle. In the same sermon, understand this, please hear this. In the same sermon, some of you may feel rightful conviction by the Holy Spirit about what's going on in your heart in your life, and in your marriage. And, in that same sermon, there may be some of you who are really striving to handle things in a godly, God-honoring way, and you want to do what He wants you to do, and just the very nature of the sermon that Satan may tempt you to despair and heap shame upon yourself. And so I have prayed... Our elders have been praying, and many of you who know that this sermon is coming up have been praying that the Holy Spirit would do His job here among us this morning. And that we would hear the right voice. We would hear what we would need to hear this morning. The key, when you open God's Word, anytime you open God's Word, the key is the context. And so we want to know as we As we look at this, like many other Bible verses and passages in the Scripture, this is ripped out of context because it is about marriage and divorce. And so one of the things that's very important is that we know the context and we understand the context. And as we're moving through the book of Mark, one of the things that's happening is that Jesus is ending His Galilean ministry. And as Jesus is ending His Galilean ministry, He is is moving on. He is moving forward. And one of the things that we see is that Jesus has been really invested in teaching and instructing his disciples. That he is pouring into these men's lives because he is headed to the cross. And and he is looking forward to the time to where he would die, he would raise from the dead, and then he would go on to be with his father and these men would be left to live and to teach and to display who God is to the world. And so in this chapter, we get several things. We get this teaching about divorce. We get teachings about children. We get teaching about riches. uh, And we get uh, teaching about um, uh, the greatest, uh, how to be great in the kingdom of God. That comes up again. And so this is the context that we're looking in. And as Jesus is moving here, look at verse 1 and 2. It says that getting up, he went He went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom, he once again began to teach them. And some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. I want you to notice what's going on. This is not the Pharisees wondering, hmm, 
you know, I've always had this question about divorce. Let's go ask that Jesus guy. It's not what's going on. It would be akin to if a reporter or, or somebody from a, a, a magazine who had an agenda who came in here and said, hey, Lewis, will, we, will you tell us what your opinion is on gay marriage or on transgenderism? We would not think in that moment, oh, they're just wanting to know my opinion. That's what's going on here. This isn't a harmless question. The text tells us we know that when they came questioning him, that they were trying to trap him. They were trying to ensnare him. And one of the things that we have to know that Mark gives us, Mark gives us the location of where Jesus was, and it just happened to be that Jesus was in the area that was ruled by Herod. The last time that we saw Herod in this book, Herod was taking off the head of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was in prison because John the Baptist was speaking out against Herod on what matter? On his divorce. And as of his marrying of his brother's wife. And so one of the things that I think is possibly going on in this text is that these Pharisees are coming to Jesus with no innocent question and they're asking Him, uh, what's your stance on divorce? Because I think that they think that they may be able to get Herod to do their dirty work for them. Because we can't lose sight of the fact of what was going on. The wheels are in motion. The plans are in motion. These Pharisees are trying to remember the word. They're trying to destroy him. And I think one of the things that was going on with them bringing to him this question of divorce in this text is that they thought that maybe if Jesus answers this the wrong way, that Herod will put the two together because John the Baptist and Jesus are linked together and maybe Herod will do the dirty work for us. But that's not all that's going on. As I stated earlier, Divorce was a very controversial topic in the day. For hundreds of years, divorce had been debated and there were two schools of thought, Hillel and Shammai, and these two schools of thought were uh, against one another. And I think one of the things that the Pharisees were attempting to do as well is to make Jesus take a stand on divorce so that he could divide his followers. So that he could cause, they could cause division. So they could diminish his authority. So they could try to diminish his power. So see it. Their goal and their reason for questioning him is to do harm. Is to trap. To at least to divide. And maybe even get him killed. But there's a problem. It's really difficult to entrap someone who's a lot smarter than you are. And it's kind of, obviously, they don't know who Jesus is, because if they knew that Jesus was the Son of God who knows everything, not only everything as far as facts and ideas and things like that, but we see in the New Testament, oftentimes Jesus, we know that He knows what the people in front of Him are thinking he knows what they want to do. It's impossible to trap Jesus. 
It would like be sitting down to, to play chess or checkers against a master who are always two or three steps ahead, except Jesus' infinite numbers of steps ahead. And yet, what I want you to see is that this is not just a story about Jesus getting out of this trap, because one of the things that we see that Jesus does is not only does He get out of the trap, but He lays some massive foundational principles about the meaning of marriage. And He uses this to continue to shape and to mold His disciples. And, and we see this in, in, in our account. Look at verse 10. So Jesus gets out of the trap. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then in verse 10 it says, In the house. So later, the disciples and Jesus were in the house. And the disciples began questioning Him about this again. So the disciples were listening. They were understanding. And they go in the house and Jesus begins to... He, he continues to teach them. He wants His disciples to understand what He's saying. In, in Matthew, in the parallel account, there's, a, there's much more information about some of the things that the disciples are saying. When they, when they hear Jesus' stance on divorce and remarriage, in Matthew they say, well, why should we even get married? And Jesus instructs and He teaches. So one of the things that I want you to see in this encounter, there is more going on than Jesus just getting out of the trap. He's continuing to teach these disciples. And please, again, remember the context hanging over us for weeks and months as we have been in this book has been this idea that those who are going to follow Christ are those who deny themselves, they pick up their cross and they follow him. And so Jesus Jesus, in teaching about this, in teaching about divorce, in, in giving this hard teaching, this countercultural teaching, this thing that goes against everything that had been ingrained in them, he's instructing his disciples this is vitally important. When you follow me, I ask you to do difficult things. Last week, as Ken was here and was preaching, Ken alluded to this same idea of that we are, it's not optional, we are salt and light. We are on display. That those who follow Christ are meant to live in a certain way that displays a certain thing to the world. A couple of weeks ago, as, as John was preaching, he, he brought out the idea that our our Christian service, our Christian witness is not this part-time job. It is who we are. And we need to look at it as comprehensively, not as, not as sectioning it out. And so that as Jesus is talking here about divorce and as Jesus is challenging these disciples and as Jesus is wanting to get these disciples to get it right, He's challenging them to know that how you do marriage is a reflection on your relationship with me. Now, take a deep breath. There are a couple of realities that I just want to bring out. And one is this. There are some in this room 
who aren't married. And, and you may be saying this morning, all right, I don't need to hear this. And, and I want to say two things to that. Uh, one, and, and I don't want to I don't want to belabor this, but one, you never know what God has for your future. So you never know what situation you may find yourself in in a while. But the other thing is this. We have spent a lot of time, because I think it's right and biblical, talking about that we are a family here. And so in a family of Christ, when one person is hurting, when one person is going through something, we should all care And so to be able to minister to one another, if you are single, if you're widowed, if you're a widower, one of the things in order for you to be able to help minister to other people in this body is that you need to understand God's design so that as people are going through difficulties in their marriage, you can help them stand firm. This is not just a sermon to the married. And another group that's here is that those who have walked through the pain of divorce. And as it's been described to me, and I've seen it, and I hate this, is that a lot of times churches treat people who have been divorced like they have a scarlet D on their chest. I've also heard it said, and I unfortunately believe this to be true in many church contexts, that the church is more willing to forgive someone who has actually murdered somebody and gotten out that a lot of times that somebody murders somebody, they go to prison, they find Jesus in prison, they get out and rightfully so. We, we want to hear their message and we want to hear their testimony and their ministries. But yet, a lot of times, the sin of divorce, hang, we hang that over somebody's head as a body of believers for a really long time and they never kind of escape that. And that's wrong. Now hear me out. Hear me out. The fallacy of what I think we do a lot of times as a church body and a church community is that we make this into an either or thing. Either we're a place that just doesn't give a rip about divorce and what people are going through. Or we care about it and so we treat people in ways that we shouldn't treat them. The reality is, is it can be both and. That we can both hold a high view of marriage and a high view of God's design for divorce and at the same time love people who have experienced that pain and that hurt and walk through that. Again, again, the tension here it comes out in what we assume people are going through. What we do want to avoid in this church, a mentor of mine, I, a long time ago when I was in college, I had not known that he had been married before. And uh, we had, we, he had, he had, I worked for him and he had really uh, spoke into my life in a lot of ways. And uh, I'll never forget the day that I found out he had been previously married before. And so I talked to him about it. And one of the things that he said is, and you've probably heard me tell this story, is that he remembers, he said, I remember standing at the altar and the door is flinging open the back. And he said, the first thought that came to my mind was, there's always divorce. He should have run. And, we can't treat our marriages this way. 
meaning God will forgive me. Is God full of forgiveness? Yes. But we don't handle other sins in our life the same way, hopefully, right? So there's tension. There's tension. Hear me out. Here's one of the things that I know this morning. Some of you in this room, some of you in this room and some of you watching are struggling in your marriage. That maybe you're not headed towards divorce, but that life in your home is hard. It's difficult. And you're struggling. Some of you this morning are in crisis. Some of you this morning in your home, there has been a major crisis and there's a crisis going on and you don't know which way is up and you don't know which way to turn. And there's even some within our body that it feels like it's gone beyond crisis and have filed for divorce. This is not a theoretical issue. And there are some of you There are some of you that are fantasizing about divorce. There are some of you that are in difficult situations. And if we could display your thoughts on the screen, one of the things that we would see is that you think about divorce often and think about just ways that you could get out of it. And so one of the things that I want you to hear me say is this. Don't forget the context of this book. Don't forget the context of this book. Jesus comes on the scene. And one of the things that we have seen him do over and over and over in this book is that he encounters someone with great need. Someone who's maybe blind or someone who's maybe crippled or someone who maybe can't hear. And everybody around them just thinks they're in this horrific, awful place and that nothing will ever change for them and Jesus does the impossible. The disciples are in a boat. There are waves and there are storms and they just think that their life is over, that there's Nothing that can happen that can change the course and direction. And then they realize that Jesus is in the boat. And Jesus does the impossible. And that Jesus in our context, He is moving towards Jerusalem. And the thing that's going to happen at Jerusalem is the greatest miracle of all. And that is is that Jesus is going to provide a way for sinners to be reconciled to God. And on our own, this is impossible. But God made a way by sending His Son. And, oh yeah. Can we remember just a few paragraphs earlier in this book about a man whose child had been demon-possessed. And he knew that these demons were trying to destroy them. And the disciples couldn't cast the demons out. And Jesus shows up on the scene. Do you remember what the man said to Jesus? If you can. What was Jesus' response? If I can. If you believe, all things are possible. 
And my prayer is that we as a Christian community would embrace this Father's words when life seems impossible, when your marriage is on the rocks, when you are struggling. I pray that we would embrace what this man has said. And that is, I believe. Help my unbelief. Problem. The problem is diagnosed in verse 5. We're, we're going to get through the, the text, but I just want you to see this. As they were talking to Jesus about divorce, Jesus said, He said to them, But because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. When they said that Moses permitted divorce. And what I want us to see, and what we will see, is that divorce was not God's design, but it was permitted because of the hardness of heart. And what I want us to look at in ourselves and what I want us to pray through is that your heart wouldn't be hard. How is your heart not hard? Well, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews is talking and he says this. Today, if you hear his voice. Do not harden your heart as when they provoked me. And one of the things we see if we were to study this throughout Scripture, that the hardness of heart is not listening to the voice of God, but taking things into our own hands and trying to do things our own way. So my prayer would be for you in your marriage, whether you are struggling, in crisis, fantasizing, or if you filed, wherever you are, don't harden your heart. Listen to the voice of God. Now, let's see how Jesus gets out of this trap. They're there and they're entrapping him. And in verse 3, they, they asked him the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And notice Jesus says this. He answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And I love this. Jesus didn't, he could because he's God. The things that he said are in the Bible, but Jesus says, go to the Word of God. What did Moses command you? And I find it interesting that when he said this, notice, notice what they do. Jesus uses the word, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. They go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And Deuteronomy chapter 24 had been the divorce text for Hundreds and hundreds of years. These two men that I talked to you about, Hillel and Shammai, they went to this text. This is where the debate was. In Deuteronomy 24, for the sake of time, don't turn there. I will read it to you. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her from his house. So they looked at this verse and said, oh, okay. Now what we have to figure out is what is meant by indecency. And Hillel says indecency is, is anything. And so in his writings and in this school of thought, you would find, hey, if your wife burns your dinner, that is indecent. You can send her away. Literally. If she is walking too briskly or twirling around and her ankles are shown, that's reason to divorce her. If she doesn't wear her hair right, you get the picture. Anything that a man could find that he disliked with his wife, 
In this school of thought, he could send her away. Now, the other school of thought, Shammai, was some kind of sexual or moral indecency. So here's the debate. Except there's a problem. There's not a command in this text to divorce a wife. And Jesus brings this up. Jesus says, because the hardness of your heart, Moses wrote to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And you may be asking, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. Is that God's original design had gotten so awry and that things were so off kilter that there had to be a commandment in here about how to handle marriage because there were some difficult things happening in the community. And one of the things that we see going on here is this. In this day and age, if a woman was not married, what was her status in society? Remember Ruth and Boaz? They were helpless. And so what God did is God provided a way that if a couple was going to divorce, again, not His design, not his intention, not his will, then he said, okay, if this is going to happen, you need to write her a certificate of divorce so that she can remarry so that there's just not chaos within the community. The command in this text, it's interesting. If you read this text, let me read it to you. So, so you tell me where the command is. So, Finds no favor in her eyes, gives her a certificate of divorce, and his house still no command. And if she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts her in his hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, here's the command. Then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. The command, the regulation in this text with Moses is really this whole idea of don't treat divorces willy-nilly, meaning I can divorce Casey because uh, maybe she did something I didn't like and she goes around and marries somebody else and then that man divorces her and I'm like, oh, you know, this lady that I married, uh, I don't, really don't like her very much, so I want to go back. Casey really wasn't that bad. I want to take her back in. Moses is saying none of that nonsense. None of that nonsense. And so when Jesus, as he's getting out of this trap and he checkmates these Pharisees and he asks them, what did Moses say? Jesus went to a better text. These men for hundreds of years had been arguing from the wrong text. Jesus goes to what Moses said in the book of Genesis. And let's hear what Moses has said. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. The argument he lays out is that God has joined you together. The intent and design for marriage is to be married for life. And therefore, there are some serious implications for, for, for fracturing that. And this is what Jesus teaches his disciples in 9 through 12. Jesus, the summary statement of all this is what therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate And in the house. They begin questioning him. And then 11 and 12. This is the implication of this line of thought. This is Jesus, These are Jesus's words. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. 
And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she's committing adultery. This is not light stuff. Jesus, in answering the question on divorce, is telling us what God's intention for marriage is. And so you may be asking the question this morning, so Lewis, are you saying that people can never divorce? In the book of Matthew, chapter 17, the parallel account, Jesus gives the famous exception clause. And what Jesus says, I'm going to stand on and believe. And the exception clause as Jesus, this is accounted in Matthew 17, says, you shall not divorce except for the case of infidelity or pornonia, sexual sin. And I believe, given Scripture, the plain reading of Scripture would say this, if Jesus allows or permits someone to get divorced for those reasons, then he allows and permits for them to get remarried in the same context. But what I want you to see is that this is permitted. It's not commanded. If my walls could talk. I have been, I have sat with couples where infidelity has taken place. And God has restored these relationships. And God has moved and worked. And it has changed the course of these families' lives. I could give you example after example of God working in the midst of of adultery and infidelity. God's not commanding that you put away. I can also give you examples of people who stayed in it and sought and hoped and stayed open and the spouse just never came back. I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard these stories of a, of a spouse who, we'll just use woman and man here, that the, the, the man has had an affair. And the wife has wanted reconciliation. She she wanted what God wanted for her marriage. And she stayed open. And she cries and she pleads. She goes to the Lord. And the man doesn't come back. I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen a woman like this who God works in her life in wonderful ways. And through that pain and through that suffering, she does great and wonderful things for the kingdom of God. There are a lot of questions that you have going on in your head, and this is not the sermon to answer all of those questions. And so I want to real quickly just say a couple of things, and I'm not going to be exhaustive here. And the first is this. Some of you may be thinking, well, what about abuse? What if someone is beating on their spouse? And I would say, of course, if someone is beating on their spouse, we want that person to be protected, the one who has been being abused. We want you to call the authorities. We want you to get the elders involved. We want to come to your aid. But in our culture, I'm often asked, I used to often be asked as a, as a counselor to define abuse. And one of the things that's real easy is some forms of abuse are easy. That. That. And that needs to be punished. That person needs to be in jail. That person needs to be that easy. But in our culture and in our day and age, this becomes a, it becomes slippery. And so it would take a whole sermon or hours to kind of exhaust that subject. But I do want you to hear me say that if you are in a situation where you are being harmed, we want you to get help. We want you to be out of the harmful situation. 
The other situation that I just want to address is this, and I hear this all the time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Weekly, I heard this in my office when I was full-time counseling. Lewis, does God want me to be miserable? Now, there's an easy answer to that. No. God wants you to be joyful. And He wants you to find your joy in Him. The problem, a lot of times, of what happens when people are asking me that question or they're going down this line of logic, one of the things that they're saying is that their spouse is in charge of their happiness and their joy. That's not what God has designed. As we sang this morning, He is our all in all. Now, does God desire for us as Christians to have happy, healthy God-honoring, joyful marriages? Yes. Do I want to encourage you to be happy in your marriage? Yes. Should we all have that as a goal? Yes. But when it's not going that way, do we throw in the towel? No. The same way for those of you who are struggling with health issues or, or mental health issues, we don't want you to throw in the towel on that either. That we believe that God can sustain you through that pain. I've said this is not a sermon to figure it all out and there's so much that I have cut out of this sermon and there's so much that is being left unsaid and I, I know that but I think what God would have for us this morning and as we're studying this passage verse by verse through the book of Mark what I think Jesus is laying out for his Listeners, and what I think Mark is recording for his readers is for us to get a category in our head about what God, what God's Son, who is God, thinks about marriage and divorce. And it's hard. And I think the reason that Jesus is teaching this is what we learn from Paul in Ephesians 5 is that our marriages, our lives as Christians, are a reflection to the world about God. In Ephesians 5, it tells us this. Your marriage should be a reflection of Christ in the church. So that our marriages should be full of forgiveness, of sacrifice, of mercy, of forbearance. And again, if we go to the context of the book of Mark, of what Jesus is drilling down in His disciples. These are categories you've heard from me for months. Is that Jesus is calling His disciples. Not only in their walk throughout the city. Or in, this business, in their business dealings. But I think in their homes as well. He's calling us. He's calling His followers to be humble. He's calling us to be humble. He is God. We are His the kingdom is not about us. As the disciples said, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? The kingdom's not about us. The kingdom is about God. He's calling us to be dependent. Remember, we've heard this theme over and over that when Jesus first sent out the disciples, He sent them out with nothing. And we said that the reason He did that is because they needed to learn how to be dependent upon God. And oh, how much we need this in our marriages. That our dependence is not on our spouse or our spouse's reaction to us, but our dependence is in the Lord. And He's calling us to be powerful. 
And when I say powerful, don't misunderstand me. If any of you men go home this afternoon and say, yep, pastor said I need to be powerful woman, you need to get in shape. You've heard me wrong. What I mean by power is that when we are thinking about marriage and when we are thinking about divorce and we are saying I am at wit's end and I just don't have any power anymore, what I want to hear echo in your brain is Jesus when the disciples were asking him, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And he says, this kind is only taken out by prayer. That's where your power comes from. So I'm calling us to be a powerful people who are dependent on the Lord in prayer to hear from him and to move in his power, not our own. And So this morning, we're going to end a little differently. We're going to end a little differently. One of the things that I want to have happen is the elders and their wives, and I've asked Damon and Leah, if y'all can just come to the front and just have a seat down here. We're going to do a couple of things. At the conclusion of our service, if you are in a place where you need prayer, I want you to come and grab one of these men and women. Let us pray with you. Let us pray with you. I know this is a bold step. Some of you, maybe nobody knows what you're going through or what's going on inside of you. And, and I want you to take that step. Some of you, maybe for whatever reason, because I've gone too long or whatever, can't stay and do that. I, I just want to encourage you that if you'll write your name and phone number and you'll put it in the offering box in the back, that one of us, one of the elders and their wives will set up a time to come to you and meet with you and pray with you. So what I want to do now is this. We're going to end the service by, we're just going to spend a little time in quiet, praying. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for others around you. And then we'll end by singing the doxology together. And if you would like to be prayed for, I would encourage you to come forward. Let's just spend some time in prayer for one another. Jesus, you are the God of the possible. You have told us that if we believe, all things are possible. The situations that we think are impossible, you look at and say possible. God, there are folks in this room. There are folks in this room that if I had an open mic would come forward and talk about your goodness and your graciousness in the midst of turmoil and despair in their own lives. Some of them are in it now. Some of them have been through it. Some of them have miracles that they could report to us about what you've done in their marriage. God, I pray. God, I pray, God, that you will not allow us to be a people who come to church with everything shined up. 
acting like we've got it all together, but that, God, your word and your people and your spirit would be mobilized for your glory and for your design. God, I pray that maybe even this morning, maybe even this morning, that your spirit would do it. It's in your son's name, the only name which all things are possible, Jesus Christ, amen.